Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. I am Matt Earl here. It is May 23rd, and we have a week's review of news and some extra stuff there afterwards regarding the CSM, some war news, and some big kills. I'm joined today by, I was about to call you Cable, but I, did, I resisted Caleb at all. Oh, please continue with the, the, the whole Cable Utah comparison. That's fine. <laughs> He's annoyed he's been called that a lot this week. Uh, yeah, also, reading is hard, I know. <laughs> also, Suetonia is with us. How's it going, Suetonia? Doing pretty well. Awesome. And also with us is the engineer, and probably joining us on talk today will be McLeod from the Initiative. Hey, guys. All right. Um, let's go through last week. And uh, it was a busy week at Talking in Stations. We even did on Saturday a little bit of an informal... Uh, behind-the-scenes show. We'll talk about that last. But uh, on Monday, we started out with a big announcement. Um, actually, I'm going to back up to last Sunday. If you watched last Sunday's or listened to last Sunday's podcast, you heard CCP talking about the Quadrant and some of the stuff that was going to be coming. And they mentioned that there was going to be nullification. And they mentioned there was going to be a cloaking adjustment for AFK cloaking to stop that. Uh, as well as some bridges and um, some trailers that were coming out for each empire to celebrate their more or less their birthdays. And so that's what happened on Sunday. Uh, so the very next day, CCP does come out with the cloaking upgrade and they announced what? Well, there's going to be a new mobile deployable that uh, when it's deployed, it takes 10 minutes to turn on and then it has a 40% chance to, to decloak ships in a system every 10 minutes. So on average, it should decloak someone who's AFK every, in about half an hour's time, roughly. Right. Sends out pulses. Yeah. And when you, the first time you cloak, you get a, uh, something called like cloak uh, defense. It's like a buff on you, kind of like a you know, link buff. And so whenever you cloak right now, you get a 15-minute uh, cloak defense. Uh, cloak timer where you can't be decloaked by one of these structures. So uh, right now it's a, a little short and I think a lot of people have given feedback to CCP on increasing it, which I think would be a good idea. And uh, the idea of course of these uh, new mobile observatories is to, uh, to counter AFK cloaking, but they don't necessarily want to uh, disrupt people who are actually active at the keyboard. Yeah. It's very specific. And I think uh, they mentioned that they had gone back and forth with the CSM, uh, the, the player representatives, trying to work something out. And from talking to them, they said that every time uh, CCP would propose something and they would work on it, they'd start playing it out in different scenarios. And there was many different scenarios. And eventually, one of those scenarios would break that solution. It just wouldn't work with that scenario and they couldn't quite fit it in. So it took about four rounds. And then, and then they actually got something that is pretty directed at people who are who have walked away from the keyboard uh and that's really who their target is, is try to disrupt that kind of uh, walking away from the keyboard but not disrupt anything else anybody who's using cloak offensively or defensively or in situations of um evasion if you're a super cap or all those kinds of things were there any adjustments to the cloaky camping um or the mobile observatory uh not so far the 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 stats are exactly the same as they were introduced on Monday, but I know CCP has been looking at feedback, and I know CCP Rise has said uh, 
they're going to be changing things. Like for example, right now they can be deployed in wormhole space, and that wasn't intentional when CCP Rise uh, said that they're going to ban them from wormhole space. So they're probably going to adjust things uh, probably next Monday, I'd imagine. Uh, I don't think there's a uh, a graphic in game for the observatory yet, so I think it's probably still some time away. Uh, I don't think we're going to get it as soon as we got the nullification yes. changes, which they were introduced, I think, on Tuesday. on like Thursday, right? They they were oh. they said they were going to do it on on a Thursday, then they had like an iteration on Friday, then they had another iteration on I think Monday, and then they put put them in on Tuesday, which is really quick. It was like five days from us from yeah, the public about knowing about them. That's what we talked about on Tuesday, actually, and that was patch day because we we were a little caught by surprise because we figured there would be more time, as you were saying. And no nullification changes went in along with warp core stabilizer changes. And uh, and people were surprised that was just so fast because they had, as you said, made adjustments and it looked like they were still trying to get it in the right place, but uh, all of a sudden it appeared inside the game. What were some of the side effects of that? Well, I guess a few people have probably lost uh, interceptors, not realizing that they're not nullified anymore, or people who, like, there wasn't any time, like, unlike the industry changes where they gave us, like, a good, I think it was, like, four weeks or so from them announcing it to, to you being able to, you, you could buy the seeded BPOs and you could research them and get stuff pre-built that were ready for the new stuff. This, this patch didn't really do that. These modules are very easy to build. I think they only have like uh, like a 20 minute timer to build them without any skills. Mm -hmm. With skills, it goes down a lot. So you can build them really quickly, but there wasn't any like way to like have them ready and built to go onto your interceptor straight away. You had to buy the BPOs on patch day and then build them in your space and then put them on, which it is quick to build them and they're pretty easy to research as well. I don't think they take more than like a few weeks, like most you know, right. cheap modules, but... Yeah, I think some people actually got stuck that were fitted for the old way of life. And so when this came in, they were kind of stuck. It was very, I'm sure that was very few of people who were, um, who couldn't, uh, they were in a, a structure that didn't have a core in it, which means they couldn't use fitting services to change out their modules, but they had modules they couldn't undock in. And so they found themselves in a stuck position and CCP said, just write, you know, a bug report stuck and we'll get right to you and figure out. Or you stick a core inside the structure and use the fitting to adjust yourself. I think there was a few other things like the shuttle, which is now nullified. That's a new power for it. It didn't have that before. But the text that said that it had that power wasn't there. And some people pointed that out. And there was like uh, two other things, I think. Oh, the uh, I think there was a null there was a nullification module uh that was a meta module i think or or one of the versions of it would fit on a bomber and so that was uh none of these nullifications or modules are supposed to fit on bombers but one out of the three did i'm sure that was a typo of some sort uh that got fixed pretty pretty shortly afterwards within a day or two and i think there was just one more thing that uh people Probably. were looking at Similar to like uh, the interdiction thing, right? The people talking about warp core stabs, you could have multiples of them fitted before. And so you wouldn't be able to undock if you had multiple warp core stabs still fitted. Yes, that's the thing that was blocking them from undocking. Yeah. I remember now the last thing was that they needed to put um, 
for the yacht, right? Which is a, a harmless ship. It's really just a gift ship that you can fly around with. It's supposed to be able to fly around cloaked up and be nullified so that you could essentially travel anywhere on that yacht without a, without a lot of danger. Basically a lot of evasive um, defenses for that thing. The problem was it only had one slot up high that was meant for a cloak. So you could cloak while you were flying. And when they said, oh, instead of having the nullification module be a low set, a low slot, we're going to make it a high slot, they needed to make an adjustment to the yacht. So the yacht could have both its, both its main powers, which was nullification and cloaking um, available to it. And that was like really the fourth change. But every one of those changes is pretty, pretty much a detail. It doesn't seem like it was a very big deal. But the reaction from people was that this was a very rushed and unpolished and shame on uh, CCP for doing that. When 90% to uh, 95% of the patch uh, was doing what it was supposed to do right afterwards. Do, do you have any problems with that, you guys? Nope. I don't really have a problem with it. It's just, it would have been nice maybe if they gave us just a little bit of leeway like they did with the industry change. Like they did a really good job by the giving people like tons of notice beforehand, giving people time to research BPOs, get stuff produced. And in this case, like obviously the, the modules are very easy to build. They're just, you know, really easy blueprints that they take like 20 minutes to build. It would have been nice maybe if they did it on the Thursday instead. And then on Tuesday, they seeded the blueprints just so you could get stuff ready before the, the change changeover happens. I felt wrong, right? It felt rushed and as, as, if, as if it was actually a mistake. I think someone uh, jokingly said uh, it was one of those examples of uh, uh, push build two, and then the choice was TQ or CC, right? And 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 they bridged instead of jump. I'm a cloud. Do you have any thoughts on on that or not? Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I, I kind of feel like maybe it was a little bit rushed. Um, I think in, in I think Suetonius kind of sort of nailed it a little bit on the head. Um, if it was more like the industry changes uh, where they gave you a little bit of time to be able to, you know, get the modules that you're going to need to, uh, to fit in order to, you know, keep your, your, your ship functioning as it did previously before the change, um, like a few days or, or maybe a week prior to the change, like that would have been great. It just, yeah, it kind of felt like it was a, a little bit on a little bit rushed. Um, and unfortunately, because of that, it kind of degrades a little bit of trust between, you know, between the customer, customers and uh, CCP to some degree. But uh, I, I think CCP can more than uh, more than make that up if they, uh, if they, uh, you know, uh, just be a little bit more uh, careful about how they do things. Yeah. Well, again, I think it was a whole lot of a whole lot of air about nothing because uh, the it only, the errors only affected a few people and they were fixed within two days. I, I, I believe in chaos era, the era that we're in where players are, um, you know, where players basically uh, get caught off guard and have to make adjustments and stuff. I like to see players off balance myself because that's what creates, uh, that's what creates drama and error. Not, not this kind of drama, but it creates stuff inside the game where people are, are trying to catch up. But they would still not have been able to like prepare, prepare for it if it had been launched the following Tuesday, right? That it it was still very, very fast cadence. So it's more about the communications back and forth. 
And ironically, I think for the past many, many months, right, every single time CCP has done a patch, it's been almost, in my opinion, seamless from a technical point of view and, and when it comes to engaging with uh, the player base. But this one, they just stumbled on. It's like, wh why did this happen? What do you mean they stumbled? There was a few errors. There's always patch errors. There's always little things here and there. Maybe there was, um, it was fresh in everybody's mind and it was such a, a shocking change, the nullification changes in general, that I think there was some reservoir of uh, bad feelings towards it. But I actually have bad feelings the other way. I feel like CCP had this, the great escape. You know, here's a, an adjustment to warp core stabilizers that can fit on um, more ships. And here's a uh, nullification, which can fit on more ships. Nobody has the innate power anymore, et cetera. And I was like, okay, evasive action uh, modules. And CCP then starts essentially giving a little to the wormholers uh, because they don't want to the... Um, battleship escape bay to be used by a frigate to be able to preserve itself as well as it, you know, to escape. <laughs> they don't want it to escape as well. Um, and then, you know, uh, people say, make it a high slot. And it just capitulation after capitulation. There's like three or four capitulations. And then the players are like, oh, oh CC, CCP's listening to us finally. Thank God. And, and every time I hear happy players because CCP is listening, I start to feel demoralized because I'm thinking like, this is, uh, this is basically, uh, the loudest players preserving their scenarios. And that's like lobbying. And it just tells me lobbying CCP works. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, for the silent group that doesn't want to, uh, uh, you know, go to the meta to, to prove their case, that kind of sucks. Well, but it was not capitulation. It was based on valid arguments and suggestions back and forth. And uh, it, it was not even lobbying. It's, I, I don't. I don't see this as an example of of the player base trying to strong arm CCP and CCP caving. The whole thing with the stealth bombers was explained why, even though some people actually kind of liked the idea, but it was explained why this might be at least premature to do right. And it's the same. They're, the they're not going to go back and fix it though it's you don't know if, if more ships might actually not be added to this but the point is that when it came to shifting it from a low slot to a high slot that was also a quite useful suggestion because it it's really kind of where stuff like this belongs this is where the cloak is so why not also have the 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 module that does this and and from a nerfing uh well action and aggression instead of nerfing uh, low slot utility. That just makes sense. I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think it took away from uh, uh, other possibilities, other creativity to preserve a certain, um, a, a certain scenario. You, you take away the possibilities of it, but I think the problem is not nullification on a bomber or not. I think the, I think there always should have been, I think the problem is the, uh, sorry, the T1 frigates is what I'm thinking of. The, the escape bay that they created, that seems very gamey to me. I don't think I liked it when it first came out. Um, it just seems like very much a mechanic for gameplay, which I think Suetonio would like because he's very much a game player. Uh, but it's, um, but it creates these balance issues that, that now start affect other things in the future. I think you can see why they have to be very careful about the stuff they put in the game because then they have to balance against it later. And it may create scenarios that are uh, unique that actually affect stuff like this. Like you can't have um, 
you can't have T1 frigates using nullification, where that might have been a really cool option for um, players with less skill points. Yeah, I mean, or, they at least have the, uh, the shuttles for that, though. So, I mean, it's not a, a total, total loss there. Yeah, but that per- the purpose for that is sightseeing, which I love and agree with, but it was... But um, nullification for a player that doesn't have a bunch of money uh, might have been good for a T1 frigate uh, to be able to, uh, to actually do what interceptors used to do. Um, but anyway. Part, part, of, part of me also thinks that maybe this change was also uh, something to sort of, uh, you know, um, like kill two birds with one stone kind of thing. Um, like deal with, de- deal with like mixing up nullification a little bit for, for the players, but also... You know, looking at it from a uh, like a, a balanced standpoint from behind the scenes, instead of instead of CCP having to ha- uh, keep lists of all the ships that contain or all the ships that are, are you know have uh, built-in nullification, right? Uh, and when they have to change that, have to go through every single you know every single ship to change that sort of thing. They now they literally just have to go to one module and then select which uh which ship type or ship group they don't want to have nullification on. So it's a lot easier for them to go in and sort of change, you know, from the back end. Mm. Well all right, I just wanted uh, let's move on cuz we're stuck on Tuesday. We always seem to get stuck on Tuesday. But that was patch notes big day, quick delivery on something that was a big change that people were uh, very emotional about the nullification changes work core stabilizers. Um so I want to offer the opposite view of hey, CCP's making good changes cuz they're listening to players. On Wednesday, we talked uh, we had basically one of these shows where we try to teach new players about these new jobs we call them inside of Eve Online because industry has expanded to want more ingredients from the environment, which means different people's uh different people's uh gameplay has the ability to be profitable again if you're a gas miner or a gas huffer or if you're um a moon miner. So we're doing specials on each of those professions that you can do. We will do one on production with Kenneth who will walk us through how you actually build stuff from nuts to soup or soup to nuts. I forget. And, um, Wednesday we had one of those and that was for planetary interaction or PI as they call it. And, um, Abby and Rundle, but uh, Abby prepared this whole thing and we may have a part two on it because we realize what a big subject it is. So we may end up doing a series on these things. Uh, but that was pretty that was pretty informative to players because we gave some advanced tips. Also on Wednesday was the Poshvin fights uh, between uh, Electus, Matari, and uh, I think Strybog were fighting over some stuff. Any of you guys know that? It was a, it was a Tatara, right? Oh, that was killed a, a while ago. Oh, I think there was a series. Oh, I think they they tried to hit back at a different a different structure, right? And they mm-hmm. they were repelled, I believe. Yes, but so the uh, Tatara died uh, like last week. Yeah, but they had a great time apparently, and it was a nice size fight, like a hundred to hundred and fifty on each side. Those are good. good oh, never mind. The Tatara was saved, I think. Yeah, I don't remember the results. Uh, we need Arcia here to to tell us that. But we did cover that Poshman fights. Uh, check that out. That's on a Wednesday program. And then Thursday, we met with Flying Dangerous. Uh, that is a group out of uh, Pure Blind, kind of a new bro-friendly group. And uh, so you can check that out. And then Friday, the monthly economic report hits for April. And what happens, Caleb, right away? 
What? We find, we find out it's not complete. <laughs> oh, the MER? MER, yeah. MER was a report. mess. It was uh, pushed uh, prematurely. <laughs> it's almost as if it's a theme. Uh, so some of the, the graphs and some of the data was actually completely wrong and actually the old data from uh, from March. So uh, it, it was a little bit back and forth of uh, trying to uh, figure out which ones were not there yet and then reporting back to CCP and uh, yeah, it took a while. And I'm not even sure if, uh, if it's completely fixed. I think the zip file is fixed now, but uh, I'm not sure if the website is fixed. Yeah. Um yeah, did you say like some of the some of the charts weren't updated? Is that what it was? Something like that? Yeah, they were the old ones. They were the ones from the month before. Uh, funny enough, I think it was all the semi-new ones because Larrikin has been playing around with uh, with updating some of uh, some of the data sets and the graphs, uh, and I think it was all his stuff that was wrong. Yeah. Well, what were some of the highlights of that monthly economic report? Well, some of the highlights was, of course, the effect from the industry changes being very obviously shown now with the with the huge uh, aberration spike uh, in the industry uh, and the slight uh, shift of um, mining actually being above destruction again, uh, which of course is offset a little bit by the valuation. So it might actually not be, quote unquote, the real numbers. Um, but it is just showing that uh, destruction is slowing down. So the war has not been able to to keep up uh, the gap between uh, replenishment and uh, um, destruction, right? Yeah. The I think the standout to me, well, not just the blue loot thing that we'll talk about in a minute, but um, was the drop in production. The uh, I think it's hard to look at. That's yeah. the cancellation, right? Because you're just on the other side now of the of the rage build, right? So um, everyone is pulling uh, out and, and going into a holding pattern when it comes to industry. Because even though we kind of know uh, everything about the industry, you don't want to commit yet. So so it's the non-committal thing on the other side of, uh, of, of this huge rage building spike. Um, uh, especially when it comes to the more expensive things where there's still a problem with some of the bottlenecks and some of the things being very valuable. Um, that means that those bills are still extremely expensive. I had a long uh, discussion uh, about the whole battleship uh, price range right now and when it's uh, actually going to drop below um, the, the, the current high. So yeah, the, everyone is just waiting a little bit uh, and they will start committing when the demand uh, shows up again. And because of all the other changes, right, we don't know exactly what the new meta will be and what will actually be required. Because, um, again, you have the whole building uh, issues in, in Null and, and the war and what will actually be needed and what needs to be shipped back and forth between Null and Isaac. Mm. Well, all right. You, so you kind of you, you kind of know a little bit about this because you've been doing industry yourself, Merrill. Right? When things like this happens, it's a bit like uh, when patch day hits. You have to uh, put something in your skill queue, and when industry changes hit, uh, cancel all your bill slots and 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 make a decision. Right? You need to you need to wait for the information, and this is what you'll see. Yeah, I think that's true with all major changes, and uh, the production change was a major change. I saw this happen when, in a, in a different way, when Phoebe jumped 
changes arrived. Oh gosh, what was the year for that? 2015, maybe in the spring. And even before the, those changes hit, they were heavily being discussed and everybody knew something was changes. And if you look at the map in NullSec, nobody really did anything aggressive. There was a lot of sameness really for all of 2000 and the second half of 2014. I remember the Halloween war came to an end a few months, let's see, probably in February or March of 2014. That was the BTAC-R fight that kind of settled things. And then N3 went on to win the war and against mostly Russians because CFC went back home. And you ended up having kind of this like uh, just consolidation by N3 of the South. And they just rented and rented and rented for, for as far as the eye could see. I think it was the biggest empire's tranquility has ever seen. It was the N3 renting empire. And uh, at that point, Northern Coalition had Delve actually, and the border was between Fountain and Delve. Fountain belonged to CFC or uh, the Imperium, as they're called now. And N3, which is uh, basically a lot of the Pappy guys right now, uh, went all the way into Delve. Nothing happened in Fe uh, until Phoebe jump changes happened. And then a lot of people spent some time evaluating what that meant. So those big changes to the game, a lot of people take a wait and see attitude. I think that's what happened. That's, uh, and on that note, I really wish that uh, someone like Rick Stewart would make us one of those massive timelines as an art piece where I can see all the different changes and patches and, uh, yeah, big uh, moves uh, on the server, right? So both player-wise and, and patch-wise. I, I don't think anyone's actually ever done that yet. Well, I did that big map that goes from 2014 to 2021 or 20. And it shows like uh, when fighter changes came in, when um, all these changes to NullSec come in, and you can start to see where the money starts to climb. Let's see if I can do that on screen. The money starts to climb. And it's really kind of indicative. And that's what we showed. Um, so you can see basically changes affect money-making opportunities, which is reflected in the monthly economic report. And that's what we looked at yesterday on Friday, uh, sorry, not yesterday, on Friday, when we were looking at Blue Loot, we had two changes to wormhole space, essentially, not directly to wormhole space, but affected wormhole space. And uh, one was uh, from wormholes with love, so that was directed towards them. And then a month later, you had a surgical strike. And, and both those, um, I don't know what you would call them, updates, affected the, the frequency of... Um, the frequency of changing holes and moving around and that sort of stuff. And also, um, I think one of those patches knocked out the facts as a via viable capital, um, in capital usage in wormholes. There was a, a series of things I think there that, uh, allowed more safety. And we we're looking at that trend line from that point on. I don't know if you could find that it's in the MER uh, McLeod. Uh, the uh, commodities trend line. And you just see it's very clear. Something happened and then the trend line starts going up and up and it's really doubled in the last um, I one. You, you can't look at that in isolation. You have to take other factors into account, right? All the stuff with the war, uh, with the ESS changes. Uh, there's so many things that can actually have played a part in 
who is actually taking advantage of uh, blue loot farming in, in wormholes. Of course, you can expect some of it to be the original denizens uh, doing the farming, but you definitely see a lot of, uh, what, what's that term? I don't know. I, I forget the term that, uh, that the wormholes use, but it's basically the people that do uh, tourist farming, right? But they, they are only in there. Is it day trippers? Uh, yes, hobo farming. Yeah, hobo oh, farming. Yeah. It's, it's the people that just go in there just to, to print the money and, 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 and fuck off again. And they're not part of, of wormhole life as such. Um, and I think they're offsetting um, the, the, the blue loot printing massively. And my only beef with the, this whole thing is, is as with so many other things in, in, in EVE, NPCs should react with uh, the same way to supply and demand as players do. So if there's this much increase in supply of blue loot, I don't understand why the NPCs would keep paying the same price. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be joined by some wormholers in just a second uh, as we uh, transition over to more topic-based stuff. But we'll finish up the week and come back to this. Uh, so that was Friday. And then also on Friday was the uh, our our little favorite show, the Euro show. Oh, what was that? Was it Eurovision-based? Was that the... No, it wasn't actually. It, was, uh, it wasn't Eurovision based. That was, uh, that was the day after. Um, oh, that's Saturday. But, uh, but uh, we, talked, uh, we talked a bunch of things. Uh, one of the main things that we talked about was actually uh, crypto. Because there's been a lot of going on with crypto. And, you know, um, Hilmar's is very, uh, very, uh, he's, he, he likes uh, the blockchain kind of uh, technologies and crypto kind of things. So, uh, you know, we thought we'd uh, d do a deep dive into that to some degree. If we're lucky, maybe one day we can get Fonsui and Hilma on the show to talk about uh, crypto for hours and hours. Yeah, because we had Fonsui yeah, I mean, we, on the show. We replayed that on Saturday for people in the US time zone just so uh, more people could, could see it. And it's funny, it had, it had like... Um, 30% of who watched it live. So I like it when you re when you rerun a program, people start chatting towards the people on screen and you have to remind them, no, no, it's a rerun. That's kind of I mean, funny. I mean, it does say it on the actual sort of like the top right, but you know. Yeah. I don't know if people don't look or if it doesn't show up on the phone as well or who knows, but it was, it's kind of neat to see people want to interact with, uh, with you guys. But yeah, so that was cool. The crypto, which is an interesting one these days. Yeah, there's been some nice. political kind of back and forth going on with it. Uh, um, some well, some sort of some crazy. Some, yeah, it's some sort of crazy sort of stuff with that. But there, we also wanted to uh, to to kind of give people a, a, an idea as to what the difference is between uh, what a, a proof of work um, sort of crypto chain is versus a proof of stake crypto chain, um, and that's kind of quite. Uh, quite important when you uh when you sort of think as to you know how uh how you can have crypto be a little bit more sustainable for the long term so yeah, we went through a few rabbit holes right it's a really big topic both on the way that it ties into technology and, and and gaming and especially how it ties into real life politics and economics so we we tried to keep it uh within the the range of the actual pieces of news but it's just such a huge topic so it it, it went a little bit long yeah all right well let's not go too much longer with this we'll be right back with uh, csm 16 the people who are in the running and some of the people who are not 
We'll talk about uh, Vendetta. They got killed. It's pretty expensive these days. Um, but mostly we're going to focus on CCP's new thing. We'll talk to the, uh, which is, oh, what's it called? It's a career path. Um, oh, I just had it. Oh, the Academy. The Academy. Yeah. Uh, which is a brilliant, um, it's kind of a information site for players that want to change careers or if they're new to the game, wanted to take up a career and it gives uh, a lot of advice all in one place. And we'll talk to, uh, somebody who formed that up for CCP. That is, uh, Ashley from Ashley in space blog, which you should check out as well. Uh, she'll be on in just a second. Uh, we'll also bring on some wormholers to talk about, uh, the remainder of the things we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back. Uh, we are here now with some new guests. I'll start with Ashley Trainor. How are you, Ashley? I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Very good. And uh, also from TIS is uh, Teddy. How's it going, Teddy? I'm good, I'm good. So wormholer, but also a candidate for CSM. So look out for that. And uh, we also have Tiberius from TIS. Uh, you know from uh, uh, the Anoikis connection and also Jove Talks. Uh, that is Tiberius. Good afternoon. All right. And his full-on morning voice, like mine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, two wormholers, actually three wormholers. Um, let's actually first talk about CSM. Um, well, the official list is out. Oh, Suetonia. I won't, I won't mention or plug that you're on CSM, promise. Uh, right. Or running for CSM. He's very, he's very shy about that. He doesn't want to be overly promoted, which yeah. I understand. Except you just did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just did it. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, but let's let's look at the list. And um, I guess we should say, well, who who's not on the list that should have been there? I want to start with the negative first, because that was kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of people. There was a well, lot of people who... Well, you, for instance, should have been on that list. Oh, well, I mean, no, I would. I withdrew from. I should have been twenty twenty hindsight. I probably should have stayed on the ballot. Um, but there were a lot of people who ended up getting dropped. I think almost the entire uh, Teddy. I think you said this. Uh, the entirety of Frat's uh, list got like completely taken off of uh, you know the, the the running. In fact, I think. Um, they're selling their spots now, or at least they're selling their ticket spots for their um, votes. Yeah, selling their votes. Um, from talking with various different people about it, I have heard uh, some things as simple as like, oh, they didn't have their passports ready to go uh, to something maybe, you know, maybe a little more sinister or not, depending upon how you look at it to terms of service violations. Um, I think a, I think a good example of this is maybe a little more obvious to some of the people in um, the community would be squishy. So squishy released a video most recently is about it extra squishy or squishy? Yeah, it was, sorry. It was extra squishy. Um, extra squishy released a video about the uh, cloak exploit with siege, with uh, with a siege on a um, Christ. What was that called? Um, siege module. Yeah, the siege module. Thank you. 
So if you have if you have an Abyssal Seas module, uh, you know there was an exploit for a while that allowed you to cloak. He made a video about it. Uh, CCP said that that's uh, you know showing a an exploit is against the terms of service. I would venture to guess that that was probably the reason why he didn't get it on on in on the uh, his candidate list. Um, or, you know. There could be something completely else, right? Nobody actually knows except for CCP and probably extra squish. But um, I think that that was that's probably one of the more obvious ones. And then there's quite a few other um, people who have had TOS violations, and it could be something minor, minor infractions to something you know maybe a little more major. Right. Well, I, I think the process is you uh, put in your paperwork, they ask you for adjustments, um, but they're not going to confirm that you've made uh, all the paperwork complete, I don't think. I think you have to pursue them and say, is everything in order? Am I good to go, et cetera? And then at the end, they do an AI check, I think internal affairs check, where they see what your behavior has been in the game. Have you ha Do you have any complaints against you? Have you come up against the EULA, which is the end user... Uh, license agreement. Uh, it's your contract playing this game. And have you violated that or come up against it in some way? And, and they weigh in that, do we want this person uh, to represent the community if they are um, in any way uh, tainted by past behavior? Um, right. We've seen people knocked out by that kind of stuff all the time. Sometimes CCP doesn't tell you specifically what it is. Uh, they just give you an idea that it's in this range of things. By the way, Noisy Gamer points out that 14 of the people that applied didn't make it out of 61. Uh, so it's, he says it's typical. That's usually about the average that uh, um, the people don't make it. Um, other people that weren't on there were like uh, Dark Dez from Fraternity. You said that, uh, I don't know if you said three, but I think that's what the count was for Fraternity. Had three people from Fraternity that were going to run. I think none of them were officially sponsored uh, Dark Des was probably going to get the nod and be officially sponsored. Now, why is that a big deal? Fraternity is like the number three uh, voting block. If you look at voting block last year, uh, clearly uh, Imperium is the biggest voting block. Second is Horde. And then third, I believe, is not Test. It's actually Fraternity. And then way down the list, like many down the list, is NCPL and all these other groups that are really popular. They're just terrible voters. Um, but uh, fraternity's not. So that's a big voting block without any uh, person at the top of their list that's from their group. So Naros has said, I'm open for business. You want to buy some votes? I don't know if he said that publicly. Um, he hasn't said it to me privately, but it's, it's more like what we've heard from people. So I don't know where that... Do you know if it's a, a public or private or... Uh, Where are we it was posted that? in the talking sessions Discord a couple of days ago. So he did. So I don't, he may be joking, but he, but he might be joking, but not joking. I don't know. But uh, I don't think there's anything against the rules for doing that. Is there? I don't think so. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah. You literally just, um, uh, so you need extra votes. Tell them how many extra you need and, uh, uh, and buy them. Or XDEF did that before as well. They uh, put out uh, like an email to their renters or something saying like, you know, rent, rent is cheaper this month if you vote for our candidate. <laughs> so in reverse. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't that know was a long time that. ago. There was also there's also the other like controversy right of uh, skill injector farms selling their votes and people uh, using the uh, that you can use the ballots to confirm who's voted for you by doing like a unique candidate combination in like the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth slot that you know don't really matter. Yeah, that's how you signal. It's interesting because uh, you don't want to you don't want to send a screenshot of every vote if you have hundreds of votes. That's going to take you a long time. So you really just put some kind of signature or some kind of rare combination of things that could only mean one thing: that it is your vote. So, for instance, if I'm uh, somebody has uh, uh, 500 votes to give, as Suetonia was just saying, the last three votes are going to be three obscure candidates and so when the ballots come up and uh that's how, how it works you see the combination of those votes i think it's the way the, the votes fall off so it has to be not the last three but oh ccp uh, always one. includes the the xml file that has every single vote inside uh, of it okay and yeah like i mean look, if you're buying votes right you only really care about like the first one two three four spots because it's going to you're obviously paying to get the first slot and maybe the second and third spot, right? You're not, you don't care about the last three spots. So you just put three random candidates in there. And that becomes a signature. And the way people do this, right, is you would, you would use a trusted third party or something where you send the ISK to the trusted third party. The third party confirms they've got the ISK. And then when the unique ballot appears in the, uh, in the CSM results, they can say, okay, yep, you, you voted this way. We'll release that ISK to the, to the skill farmer or whoever. Well, Caleb, there's an opportunity. We should become a trusted third party for vote laundering or whatever this is. This just in, Merrill is now the new third party uh, trusted <laughs> candidate. Give me your money. We'll hold the it. New cribber. And then we'll try to buy you votes. Yeah, that'd be funny. Is that, does that mean no wonder, there's going to be a Madderall statue as well? No wonder Sertonia doesn't want us endorsing him. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm putting you on the hot chair. I uh, shouldn't do that. Anyway, uh, that's really interesting. So CCP is complicit because they put out the full list of the votes and you can find how many and add up how many votes did you get. So that's... Well, it's not, it's not so much as they're, they're uh, implicit, right? It's more that they do that for full transparency. So you can always find your vote. Yeah, and you can I'm, confirm. I'm teasing them as part of the, being a criminal organization uh, and being complicit. But, but yeah, they're trying to do it for transparency so everybody knows what's going on. Um, so interesting. But CSM candidates do include... Uh, Tiberius uh, decided not to run... Do you want to say why or not? I mean, it's I it's a little more obvious than not. Um, there was HK decided to run a member, um, and I felt like um, that because I hadn't been playing the game for a long time, um, that uh, you know because of IRL stuff for professional reasons um it had been brought up a number of times whenever i put put out my candidate thing or my uh my candidate uh whatchamacallit on the on the forums my announcement and uh i decided that there was probably not a lot of legitimacy to it because regardless of the fact that you know i can 
interpret and break down data of wormhole space and kind of accurately interpret what how it affects the ecosystem, there's still a lot of people who prefer people who know and understand the game from a PvP aspect. And if you don't have a PvP killboard, then um, you're not going to, you know, look appropriate. And at the time, um, HK was, or not hard, not HK, uh, I should say HK wasn't putting him forward. There was a person from HK who didn't ultimately make it into the CSM pool um, who decided he wanted to run. And I felt like because of what happened last year, I didn't want to split the vote. And uh, it just, yeah, that was ultimately so, came down to my decision. So you bowed out, uh, but the HK guy couldn't get certified to run. So yeah. and but that didn't that didn't leave wormholers without options because also from TIS, Teddy threw his hat in the ring and now pretty good position, Teddy. We also have other people too, right? We have Mark, Teddy, who else is running? Well, um, from from TIS, it's Teddy, but wow. from Wormholers, you guys have like three or four candidates, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got Mark Resurrectus. Um, uh, I'm going to push the name like Evie. Yeah, oh, Mark, and Mark and Evie and Stitch uh, are all from Wormholes. We have a couple other people I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Evie is from Wingspan. Mark's from uh, Turbo. Um, and we have a guy also from Avanto, which is whole control. Um, and those are the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head, at least the ones that have been vocal about it. So they so, did make it on. Yeah. All right. Who else isn't on there that, that was surprising? Anybody, anybody else? I should have written some names down, but. Or surprising people running or surprising people who are blocked? Uh, people who weren't able to get on the ballot. Oh, okay. one of them was uh, Isaac, which was a little surprising, since he appeared on a few uh, on a few shows already. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing because the camp, the actual campaigning window, I think, is only two weeks before voting starts. So you kind of have to pre-campaign before you're even certified. So that that's going to happen. Yeah, there, there was Gideon as well. Uh, yeah, he had a he had a very he was on talking on stations, uh, talking about it. And he had a very technical problem where, uh, his, uh, his passport wasn't the right passport that CCP wanted, even though it would get him to Iceland, it wasn't exactly what they wanted. And so that technicality might've knocked him off. Maybe he can appeal that since it's very technical. I'm not sure. Oh, that's the really obvious one in Constantine getting blocked. <laughs> um, yeah. So who's on it that is interesting, uh, Caleb, everybody's kind of conflicted of interest, conflict of interest here, but uh, anybody interests you in the, that's running? Well, I still hold to the fact that when I vote for CSM candidates, I am more focused on do I believe that they are good at the whole interaction and how CSM meetings are conducted and, and, and what their purpose is. So yes, I want representation of as many groups as possible. Um, and of course, I'm personally mostly uh, focused on someone that actually has an interest in things like third party tools and the economy, but that's my gameplay. But other than that, some of my favorites have actually been uh, people like uh, Billy and, and Brisk, uh, because I, I feel like they take the actual appointment serious and, and, and they have a, uh, 
a politician's attitude, right? They 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 listen to to people that um, they seek out uh, experts, and uh, and they're almost more like a funnel uh, for the voter base to CCP than actually trying to sit there and lobby by themselves. Yeah. Well, um, there's interesting people running this year that that haven't run before. You have a Rick Javix running. He's a very big community personality. Uh, you also have uh, Lucy Liu, who's a incredible PVP -er from the Russian language part of the community. That's a, a, a first time, which is interesting. I think there's also a second Russian candidate too that's uh, from XIX, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, who else is running? Well, you have Kenneth running for um, as an incumbent and you have eight out of 10 actually uh, guys coming back running as incumbents, which is pretty high. I think last time it was seven. Uh, so it might be, there might only be limited space for, for people. Oh, pro God legend jumped in from yeah, test. That's, that, that's a weird thing, right? That, that's yeah. almost like a, a split vote scenario, which is weird. Well, they'll have to navigate that, but what's what that uh, is kind of a bad omen for someone like Ron USMC, who's very popular as a streamer. He belongs in test. He would have been an easy second choice to Billy. Uh, but now pro God kind of complicates that combination. What's, what's Tess going to do? How are they going to do that? Maybe, uh, maybe they ask fraternity, but fraternity is like, look, we, we don't want political favors with our allies. We want to sell these votes. So, so that's going to complicate things for uh, Ron as well. It's an interesting I, season, I think. Uh, not to tinfoil hat, but I'm wondering why you would have Billy and uh, pro God because is, is this indicative of uh, a splitting of the vote or is it indicative of maybe uh, Pro-God taking uh, Billy's seat because Billy might actually not want it that much or want to have an out if he needs it? I, I don't know what is, is exactly is going on there, but I just think that's an interesting thing that uh, I'm definitely going to follow during the election. Yeah, um, it may even point to the fact that they are so confident that they think they can get two candidates in. That would be uh, hubris. Well, I think it was a screw up, frankly. I have no information on it, but it just seems to me that uh, the messaging coming out of Billy was, I might run, I might not, I'm not sure. I've kind of uh, maybe done what he needed to do. Maybe he needs one more year to finish that legacy. Good word for it. Uh, and that kind of ambiguity might have led to Pro God on his own throwing in his hat. And then then that needed to be negotiated. At this point, the uh, best information I have is that they need to work it out. They need to figure out how they're going to navigate this. But, you know, well, test, if they fill their first three spots with only test guys, can't leverage out to vote trade with Horde, for instance, or, uh, and that's a big deal. Uh, that, that's a win or lose situation for candidate number two or three. If they're able to vote secure, they're uh, sort of the, the, Winterco, or at least the fraternity uh, sort of votes, they may be able to get to in. Well, we're taking Winterco off the table because, again, they're up for they're up for sale. So that's yeah. what makes this interesting. Otherwise, it might be it might be something they could do. Okay, Who do we actually think is going to be first on the test ballot because I think that's the interesting one, right? Are they going to put Vili uh, in front or or Pickles? I think Vili would make more sense to me because he's already on the CSM, so. He already kind of has like a lot of relationships. I know Progod was on the CSM before, and he's still uh, he's still like a, the guy who has CCP relationships too. But it, it probably makes sense to keep the same guy 
running, right? Because he already knows what's happening. He's already built the relationships with the current people over at CCP. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if if Vili actually doesn't want it that much, maybe he would give Prokot the seat, right? And only take a second one if they can get one back to what Teddy said. Yeah, yeah I guess we'll it depends see. on Vili's attitude about it. Yep. Well, interesting situation there. Uh, do we know who's running from the Imperium? We, I th- think everybody's rerunning. The top uh, yeah, Brisk, Brisk is running again, obviously. Uh, Innominate's running again. Merkelchen's running again. Now, are they a smaller entity than they were as Imperium? and Or do you think everybody's going to vote this? I think they still have a ton of uh, dudes. I still think the Imperium is going to be the biggest voting block uh, around. So they're already like the biggest block by a long margin. I mean, there might be people who are you know, unsub now or moved on, but I still think that Imperium probably still going to command the biggest uh, voting block. Not only are they still the biggest group, but they by far had the best voting turnout of any group. There were a lot of groups like uh, Test and PL where the people tend to vote more what they like rather than like following the the ballot. Yeah. And uh, Karma Fleet has a bunch of people in there, right? They have like five or six. Let's... Yeah, there's like five or six uh, Karma Fleet candidates. So. Yikes. Okay. All right. We'll check it out. I, I, okay. I don't think any of the other ones will get in. I think a lot of the power will go into getting uh, uh, getting uh, Merkelchen a nominate. I think it'll probably be Merkelchen number one and nominate number two. And then uh, Brisk probably number three with Brisk being like number one on the init ballot. Yeah, same as last year. Uh, Freedom Tower asks, who does TIS endorse? Hmm. We only endorse our oh, We have like five candidates, members, right? don't we? We, we have we six have, candidates, yeah. yeah. They're not we ours. Have, uh, we have me, we have Arcia, we have Teddy, who's here too. We have uh, Dr. Spottermain, as well as Rich Richmond. Which one am I forgetting? Ken. Kenneth. Oh, Kenneth Field, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but we don't endorse them necessarily. Well, maybe we will. I don't know. We haven't decided. But uh, we go out and we find really good people at this game. And, uh, and that's who we recruit because we want to bring some really good voices, not just people who know everything, but can also explain it well. And that's who we bring to TIS. So if they're TIS and they're running, uh, it's kind of like we've certified them to be good enough to be given the airwaves to talk to you guys. In a way, that's an endorsement. Well, and... and- and as you pointed out the other day, the diversity uh, of what type of and, and what uh, focus uh, our TIS, uh, CSM uh, people have, it's, it's really up to the voter to vote for the one that has the focus that they actually have an interest in. So if you are a wormholer, of course, TIS would say, well, you should vote for the TIS wormholer candidate, right? And same with if you're a, a third party tool uh interest guy you should of course vote for someone like spot if you are small roaming stuff and uh, high knowledge of eve you should of course vote for someone like suetonia right it's, it's just the the candidate from tis that fits your gameplay is who you should really consider voting for and then if you put the other ones in in, in your ballot that's just uh, going to give a thumbs up from uh, from tis right yeah i, I, mean, I think so i i, I uh want to reiterate, we try to find not only people that are good at what they do, maybe even exceptional, probably exceptional at what they do, but they can also communicate and, and they know how to 
put a presentation together. They know how to talk to people. They know how to be in a room with developers. So there's a lot of people who are very talented in the game, but they just don't have the social skills uh, at the level that are necessary to be effective CSM. You can vote your favorite people if you want, um, but our guys that come from TIS, I think, are certified. And maybe we will do endorsements. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. Wow. Okay. So let's move on to something that came up recently. It's CCP's latest thing. We're going to have more information this week as we meet with Eve University and CCP themselves uh, on this uh, academy that CCP has put forward. And today we have Ashley Trainer here with us. Uh, who is the person that pretty much built the thing, right? How are you doing, Ashley? Hi. I mostly produced the the copy on this. Um, I was present in a lot of the the meetings in the academy team itself, but uh, my main role in the project was to to write the copy and the fits, etc. Similar to how I might write one of my own blog posts. Yeah. So. This is something you've been doing a while. Anybody who looks at Ashley in space or Ashley dot space uh, will instantly see familiarity with, uh, well, I think the whole way it looks, but also the words. So you've been doing this for how long now? Um, this is, uh, this has been in the works a few months. I won't say exactly how long, but uh, it's been in the works a few months. We've still got a lot more to do on it and we're going to be releasing a lot more content as we go. So there's, more videos in the works, for example. Right. That's this project that you did with CCP, but your website, how long has that been around? Uh, yeah, my own site has been around since I believe July 2019 or so. So uh, a couple of years now, about two years. And before that, uh, there was about three years of writing for various other EVE news outlets. Right. I think you worked with uh, us as well as... Um, Crossing Zebras. Yeah, and, that's the main one. And New Eden Report for a little while. And Yeah, so you've been around and you took on a persona of like, we can see your little figurine there. I don't know what those are called, but it, it looks like a teacher. Uh, kind of, I suppose. Uh, it was a commission I got from Eve Moedesu on Twitter. And it's, it's just, I wanted something to use on thumbnails and such. Yeah. And so you've done fittings and you've done advice and it's mostly, it looks like geared towards, I mean, it's high level advice, even if it's written in a way that newer players could understand it, right? Uh, yes and no. I probably can't explain exactly how I write uh, my own blog. I, I write it to try and explain things, but I do assume some level of knowledge. Um, I, I do also have some more newbro friendly articles as to how to crab series, including an alpha clone article. And I've got a few fitting fundamentals articles, for example, which are really the, the basics of fitting. Yeah. So what happened here with CCP? Uh, how did that come into being? I don't know how much you can talk about it. And uh, you said it took about, it's taken two, maybe three months so far, but how did that all start? Um, I've I've had some good contacts at CCP for a while now, uh, primarily as a result of of my own writing, and uh, it just ended up with uh, I, I was just reached out to by CCP Goodfella and some others at CCP, and we had a bit of a chat about the project and if it was something that I would be happy to be a part of, and uh, you know from there it's more of a case of of organising contracts and such and getting getting all that sorted. 
but it was really quite informal just to chat with uh, some people at CCP and be introduced to it and away we went. Yeah, away you went. And a few months later, the result is this uh, academy. It's a big deal, right? I mean, don't you guys agree that um, one of the things that players need is sometimes they need some information on which way to go? Yeah, I think the I don't know if you talked to me exactly, but uh, I think the concept of it as as a whole of, of what we've done here is something that Eve has needed for a while, because while Eve University, for example, is is brilliant, I, I love Eve University. It sometimes has just a bit too much knowledge uh, for a new bro, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So having something like Eve Academy is going to help more with, with helping players set their goals when they're starting the game and, and really pick a route that they can shoot off down and start learning more about the game as they go. And, and sometimes that's all it takes, that first, the first two or three weeks in the game or something where you, you get involved in a particular career or so and you can learn more at your leisure from more advanced sources and that's something we've provided a lot of on the academy as well. Yeah, I, I think also for people who are transitioning to a different discipline, because we talk about EVE Online not being one game, but multiple games. And so if you need to adjust for different gameplay for some reason, like maybe now you need to become a gas huffer or do some industry stuff and you don't know where to begin there, this looks like a really good primer. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um it's primarily for new players, but if you haven't done industry before, then you're a new player to industry. Yeah, I think that's uh, kind of lost on people. Have you guys seen it? What are you guys' thoughts? I've seen it, and I think it's amazing. It's uh, long overdue, as already has been pointed out. I, I think, of course, it hints a little bit of, at uh, what caused all these problems, which is, of course, the fact that uh, very old-school aggressive recruitment disappeared. So new players uh, or players wanting to shift to something else were left on 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 their own right it's like how, how do i figure out where to go uh, um, and this is actually supposed to be helping these players um, and I, I i hope we see more of this and that it develops into something really really useful yeah and like this is only in this is only in like data right so um once we transition to maybe even getting some of the stuff in game um, I think it will vastly help the new players. CCP has been looking for a way to, um, I guess, get a publicly sponsored new player experience thing or some sort of guide. Um, I think they've relied pretty heavily upon the community to kind of uh, teach players how to play the game. But um, I think that, you know, coming into the new era of how video games, how people play video games. Uh, I think that this, what Ashley's been working on and um, in conjunction with CCP is the right step for um, how to get people to stay. Because if you have a um, essentially a developer sponsored new player guide, um, you know, I think people are going to trust that a lot more than trying to figure out how to, do whatever it is that they need to do through third-party apps and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I th- yeah, you're right. I think the third-party app thing is pretty key too, like where you, where you go for the for the tools because the tools are scattered all over the place. And they, some of them atrophy and go away and some of them are new and unknown. So they have to be rediscovered all the time. Well, do you have um, uh, a favorite profession, Ashley? I've always been a PvP player, but I'm... 
I'm also a wormholer, so I'm I'm quite happy with the Explorer page and and what we're doing with that. So I'll go with Explorer for now. Yeah, uh, you and Teddy are from the Foxholers wormhole group. Yeah, so I'm the uh, the CEO of Foxholers, and Teddy, in many ways, is kind of a co CEO. I mean, we're getting married anyway, so there we go. <laughs> well, that's convenient. Uh, you guys can uh, dual box. Yeah, more like uh, quad box. Quad box. It's called power coupling, Meryl. <laughs> uh, some something you know a little about, right? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eve Online brings some smart people together. Oh well, that's a uh, great. So Fox completely Holder. removes the whole partner aggro problem. Oh yeah. Uh. <laughs> it no? partially, partially removes it. It more removes my ability to play other games when I can't escape pings. You can't escape pings. No, so, uh, that's a whole another not level of rage pinging when it shows up. <laughs> rage ping is, is knocking on the door. I actually do tend to shout him. I'm like, Al, this is Brockles tackles, and he'll be cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> Get to your station, buddy. That's a whole new one, right? Honey, I'm tackled in belt. Well, th this is great work, clearly, and uh, I, I hope it um, gets recognized. Again, we're going to talk with uh, CCP and uh, Eve University. Uh, I think Ashley will be there. Um, yeah, we'll, I'll be there. Great. We'll talk about this again in, in more detail with them about the initiative, what it's for, what it's targeted um what it's targeted at, what players, and uh, really, my question is like, why did it take so long? Not a real question, just kind of rhetorical. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I could answer that anyway. Yeah, that's for CCP. Why did it take so long? Because we were waiting for Ashley to show up. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. All right, uh, we're going to move on now to some more news. I think, Sutonia, um, do you have a, a handle on what's going on in in uh, in Delve, basically, one DQ area? Uh, I don't really know too much about Delve. I haven't really been paying too much attention to what's happening in Delve. As I understand it, Happy are still doing daily fleets to try and kill jammers and kill structures. But right now, uh, Goonswarm are mostly holding them off at bay. A lot of mm -hmm. the, they've dropped a lot of Asbels, but all of the Asbels so far have died. They haven't been able to make any progress in there, but I think. Betty said that it is going to be something that, you know, is going to take them like a few weeks to get any like real foothold in the area. So yeah, I don't know it? if it's, I don't know if it's, if we can say that, it, you know, that they're failing or, or, or what yet. No, I think, uh, um, Matani put out a statement to his guys along the lines of uh, good job. And on the other side of it, Pappy was saying like, uh, Imperium ran out of fighters again. And, I think I talked to Kenneth about this on our very casual um, group that we had yesterday. And he was saying like, yeah, because building fighters is a pain. It's not, it's not that easy to do. I mean, it's easy. It's just a pain. So I guess that's a tactical win um, for, for Pappy if they want to consider it. I mean, yeah, you, you're uh, from a tactical standpoint, you are reducing the uh, the amount of, Possible assets that your uh, that your opponent can potentially leverage to defend. Yeah, that's very true. But like, if we didn't have any, if Imperium didn't have any fighters left, kind of in the sort of you know the the way that uh, that Vili had said, 
uh, then it would be easier for uh, for Pappy to gain ground inside of that uh, particular constellation, but they haven't so far. So, I believe so far, I think eleven Asbels have died trying to anchor. Someone yeah. was asking in the chat. I think they I think they are in the process of building more than one hundred Asbels. Uh, that's what they say as a sign of their commitment. Yeah, but it seems like uh, it seems like Pappy have d done a lot of uh, like spring cleaning, I guess, outside of Delve as well. They've been hitting a lot of the uh, initiative structures, like their uh, uh, their Fortazars that were in Curse, even though uh, Init aren't actively staging out of them anymore, and they have NPC stations. So I think Init just moved most of their stuff out of the fort into the NPC station. It hasn't really impacted Init. Uh, at all so far and also uh, McLeod can probably talk about this better than me but it seems like yesterday and it actually made a really big push into Ethereum Reach they uh, they've actually reinforced I think 19 structures so that's TCUs and iHubs in the first two constellations around uh, like Umon where uh, initiative are staged uh, well I can speak a little bit about that um, yeah we, we've it, it's been like it's been just a kind of like a constant sort of push um you know obviously we've had setbacks having to deal with uh you know having to restage uh, a couple of times and uh you know find a a, a suitable npc station to be able to uh operate out of um as like you know the the preferred fallback um but we've been yeah, the, the the reinforcing of uh, of iHubs, that kind of thing, uh, and of uh, Citadels uh, is a sort of paramount importance. But also, you know, the the destruction of uh, jump bridges has also been a very important thing in terms of uh, key strategic uh, sort of uh, wins, because that does reduce uh, sort of the um, what would I can what I would consider to be the quality of life inside of uh, um, you know built up space. Yeah, yeah, and the same thing kind of happened uh, with Catch initially, right? Aside from the uh, the alliance that kind of folded straight away, it was mostly that kind of a, a slow grind. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly the plan, I believe. Right. Yeah, and there's some some news in the north, kind of, where Fraternity have decided that they're going to try and invade Pure Blind now, as well as uh, kill the remaining um, trigger happy Fortazaran system in tribute. There was only one system that they had left, which is AW1. Which is a pretty important system because it borders uh, pure blind. Yeah, who are they fighting there? It's fraternity versus fraternity versus uh, Volta and toilet paper mostly, as well as uh, the hostile states coalition, which is not really a coalition in the traditional sense, but as a the Volta plus toilet paper plus some allies like uh, Hysteria, Scum Lords, uh, RHP. I think also I don't know if they're technically in the alliance or not. I think they are. Yeah. It's it's kind of those independent states that were up there before fraternity moved in. Yeah, yeah. So that's heating up. And actually, I think we had seen, uh, I don't know how forthcoming they were with it, but Flying Dangerous might have been involved with some of that as well. Yeah, they, they were definitely helping. Uh, Triumvirate as well, uh, also, uh, even though they're in Cloud Ring, they also are allied to Volta and were helping out in some timers. They were in Bombers, I think, for the fight that was in. Uh KQK1 on Thursday. Yeah. All right. So some uh, some cleanup work going on outside of uh, Delve. Inside of Delve, uh, there really doesn't seem to be any story that's uh, pivotal at all. And that's what we focus on is the on the the uh, 
pivotal points in the war, the plot points, and we haven't seen one yet. There was early on, there was um, what looked like might be a crack. Uh, the Pappy was putting up a couple of pauses, uh, which would have been significant, but that didn't, that didn't come to fruition. And so it's really been a lot of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which is what, again, Pappy was preparing their members for. If you're looking for that big set piece fight happening up front, not going to happen. You'll be disappointed. They, they took a lot of criticism for that, but it's kind of playing out that way. This is going to be very much testing, testing, testing and uh, trying to wear out the will of the defending Imperium. And the, on the other side, the Imperium is uh, performing well and defending and showing up and fleeting up and have allowed Pappy no ground so far. So there's no surprises. And uh, no surprises means that we're not looking that closely at it. However, there was a... Uh, not necessarily in Dell, but there was a casualty for Horde, uh, a vendetta was knocked off recently. Now, Vendetta, maybe a few months ago, was worth uh, 80 billion. So it was, um, this is a faction, basically the faction variant of a Nyx. So it's faction Galente. It's actually faction Serpentis, but that's a mix of, uh, or it's an offshoot of Galente. And Odin's, uh, Odin's caught that. I don't, know yeah. if you, I don't know if you saw the video on that. Odin's caught that off of a structure. Um, I believe this guy was screwed up his sino or i don't know maybe it was a sino bait well, just one second Tiberius, uh, before no. we get into what happened before we get into what happened i just want to describe why it's important and oh, that sorry. is that, that's all right the vendetta was only worth about 80 billion uh, a while ago but the serpentis class uh, of ship or faction ship is actually um, mineral heavy so it takes a lot of minerals to build it and when mineral when shipbuilding for super capitals changed and became uh, really much much more robust and more expensive the serpentis uh, really exploded in cost so it went from being worth 80 billion to somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, some people put it at like 500 billion or higher i think we've seen 200 to 300 billion uh some reports of that. So we don't really know where it is because the prices haven't leveled out, but it is a lot. Uh, so this vendetta losing it is a huge, huge hit, which is, which makes it worth reporting about now. Okay. And how did this one get, uh, knocked off? Uh, so, Teddy or um, Tiberius? The AAR that they linked in CIS, um, what they posted in CIS, um, he was practicing bombing runs, uh, screwed it up, went back to the Astra, uh, and got bumped off. Then obviously once it's scrammed, you can't retether. Okay, that is someone that is somewhat of a novice then, maybe not. But normally if you're trying to learn something in an expensive ship, you do it on the test center where if you screw up, it doesn't cost you your valuable item. But that's where you practice jumping for the first time. That's where you practice uh, these kinds of things. And you don't practice in a live situation with a vendetta. That seems um, foolhardy. What do you guys Did think? He, how long has he had the vendetta though? Because he might not have had it long, right? So maybe it wasn't mirrored on the test server. He might not have had a super before. Yeah, it takes it takes a. But they they've been mirroring it recently, haven't they? Because of the changes. Yeah. I, I think the mirror is still actually pretty old. Yeah, it hasn't I been think. mirrored since February. Oh, yeah, because yeah. whenever I log in with my characters, they're still in curse and when Volta were deploying curse, and that was like three months ago. So. Hmm. That's a good point. Really good point. All right. I take it back. Maybe he didn't have a choice. 
I mean, he could have probably just asked someone to trade him a super. He's in Horde. I mean, they, they have tons of supers, so I'm sure someone so lent him one for the test it's, server. It's important to remember on the test server, they don't seed supers. You have to build them yourself. Um, and because it takes so long to, to get them up, you know, a lot of times people, if you're going to do something with a super, it's just easier to do it on the, the normal server. Yeah, yeah, unless you're in uh, yeah. one already, then... Yeah, if you're in one. It. If it's in your inventory, at some point it shows up on the test server and then you have it. That's, but that takes a while if it hasn't been mirrored since right. February. So you can mirror your skills, but you can't mirror your inventory, which is a bit of a pain sometimes, I think, especially for Super and Titan pilots who are trying to test stuff out. Yeah, interesting. But, uh, you know, that's a bad day for that guy. It reminds me of the Revenant that was killed right before the industry changes came into being. Um, or was it a blueprint? I think it was a blueprint. For Are you Revenant. talking about the Komodo BPC? Someone lost their Revenant BPC as well, didn't they? In, uh, yeah, yeah. Okanen, I think it was. Yep. Yeah, so it's really expensive stuff. You don't, you don't want that lost right now. But again, the prices right now are crazy. We don't really even know what this stuff is you know, used for. Uh, so yeah, Noisy Gamer says, you can't mirror your inventory. Learn something new every day. I don't think you can mirror inventory. So You can't update it. You can do it. It, it just updates, it, it copies whatever inventory you had at the mirror, and then there's no way to update it since then. So you just have to wait until, like if you bought a Titan now on TQ, you wouldn't be able to test anything until the next mirror when it, when the Titan would be in your inventory on the test server when you log into that character. Yeah, there used to be a function called slash copy skills, but uh, sorry, copy ships, but that is no longer a thing. Yeah, that goes back to the, uh, okay. So it goes back to the mirror, though. If you if you didn't have it before February, it won't show up on the test server for you to practice with. So that's a really good point. I didn't realize it was so long because I thought it they mirrored it like every week or two. No, it's definitely like every like three to four months or so. They they do like update Sissy like every week or so, but they don't like copy the the inventory and the actual mirror. Yeah, you know what the cool thing is? If you lose a super and you miss it, you can go back and visit it on the test server. Yeah, until, like, it, until it mirrors and it's gone, it, like on TV. Yeah, exactly. It's like your cat. It's back to life. So you can pet it some more. Sorry. Anybody lost a cat, I am sorry. That's a really rude joke. Um, okay. Uh, so we, I think we took care of everything. Uh, did we talk about Ethereum Reach? We did, right? Initiative taking out some bridges and uh, Fraternity and Pure Blind and the Vendetta. And uh, we covered the Academy and we covered CSM season kicking off. We have a little extra time here. We have some wormholers, so I'm going to let these guys uh, pummel me uh, because earlier I made a suggestion and I stick by it. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm going to I'm going to try to fight the good fight. Wormholers are earning too much, uh, or not wormholers, but there's too much blue loot coming out of the uh, monthly economic report. As we've seen, it's a complicated mixture, sure, but the way I look at it. Wormholers uh, need some kind of a change to destabilize gameplay that is solved. So I was saying maybe we should take mass limits off wormholes. Well, see, that opens a whole new can of worms because if you do that, then suddenly you have wormholes, uh, you know, suddenly you have Nick super highways moving through, uh, you know, high class wormholes from pure blind out to delve, you know, into without using a Sino. Um, so that's like an, or, you know, through some CCP magic, which probably would happen if this, uh, if you were to change the, 
the the mass limits, suddenly you would have a Titan inside of uh, high sec again, you know, and those obviously haven't been there. You haven't seen any kind of capital ship inside of high sec aside for the ones that uh, got grandfathered in way back in what? Oh, I don't know, 2009, something ridiculous like that. Um, but that would absolutely, <laughs> that would absolutely break the game. Um, no, uh, geez. So the blue loot issue is, it is so multifaceted. Um, there's just so honestly, we could do an entire episode. Yeah. Yeah. On yeah. This. I'm thinking we shouldn't go into the blue loot thing, yeah. but let's talk about the mass open up mass on the wormholes and just make them switch faster. Why isn't that a good idea for wormholes and why can't they be but can I just repaved? Like, why can't we look at wormholers and wormholes in a different way than it's been, you know, lately in the last five, 10 years. Oh, but just, just to point out, uh, Tiberius, um, when it comes to the problem with Bulu, it's really mostly a CCP problem, right? And it could be resolved by just, uh, fitting supply and demand and making demand and price go down when supply goes up. Hmm. I don't think the blue loot is the only problem. I think wormholes seem solved right now, don't they? Is this just... I uh, think that that's a, I think that that is 100% an accurate this, uh, description. Wormholes are no longer the... Uh, I think it's kind of a silly thing to say that wormholes are a bit of a wild west or that they're the you know wild west yeah sure they are to a certain extent to like new players and stuff like that but we have established groups of people who understand the mechanics of space uh very very well um they understand how the pve sites work really well how wormhole mechanics work um and uh, you know and overall i think you that's an accurate way of saying it is that with the, you know, the wormhole phenomenon has generally been solved by the people who live there uh, for, you know, protracted periods of time. Yeah. If they want to personally sell some holes to day trippers or what would you guys call them? Hobo. Uh, yeah. Hobos. Um, yeah. They, uh, if they want to make money that way, it's, it's a solved gameplay. It needs to be shaken up. How do we shake it up? What's, what's a good way to shake it up? Not these little, uh, you know, Teddy, I know you disagree with me and, and you do too, Tiberius. Uh, I'm sure Ashy does too. But not the little, let's fix a little of this, let's fix a little of that. I want to blow wormholes completely open, change, change their uh, function almost in the game. What do you guys think? It's just such a massive risk. Um, wormhole is, wormhole is such well, a Well, if they population. fail and all wormholers leave, what percentage of EVE Online population leaves? Uh, I would, I believe it's probably in the neighborhood of what, like, 5%. it's not a, it's not a small number, <laughs> right? It's a, it, few thousand, it, it's a few thousand it people, <laughs> but it's, um, it, the, the other big issue is that it wormholes account for 10 to 15% of the total PV PVP kills that account for, you know, for the entire game. Obviously that may be small for a lot of people, but it's, it's not, I don't feel like that that's an abstract number. Um, it personally, but you know, I, I have a vested interest in the space that I live in. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm talking about bulldozing but, your home and you're like, wait a minute. I still live really here. It's not really about bulldozing. You're, you're asking for perfect, uh, pavement of all the roads and 
if you're comparing this to something like the, the car rally, right? If suddenly it's perfect roads, why would you need to do it in the desert in the first place? If you if if you nerf wormhole uh, life with making it not wormhole life anymore, why have it at all? It's not sec without local. It's blackout. I wouldn't, I wouldn't equate it to like nerfing or anything like that. I would equate it to um, a lot of us want wormhole space to just be less safe. We want scrams to be spread in sites, maybe sigs to be delayed when they spawn. Stuff that makes ratting harder and it's less safe. The biggest, I would say, filaments the big removed. Yeah, removed yeah. Filaments. Fil filaments are broken, absolutely broken. Well, how are they broken? Right Describe now. that to people who don't understand why that's okay. A so there's two things that can happen, right? All right. So let's let's talk about evictions first of all. Uh, let's take away any of your predilections about how evictions currently work uh you know whether or not you believe that they favor one side or the other et cetera, et cetera. the thing about evictions that makes eviction or the wormhole space unique is that when your structures die all of your stuff gets popped out into popcorn inside of space right if you don't have ass if you don't have freighters you don't have asset safety um and not everybody can afford a freighter tune or you know a, a freighter itself, so to speak. So a lot of people put stuff in there um, and people do evictions uh, as we talked about it in the last Jove talks, people do evictions because they want the loot that's inside and that's a valid form of gameplay. Um, CCP just most recently added um, Poshfin filaments. Um, that was the most recent thing that they did. They also added... Uh, so you, you could know, get in to Poshfin. Right, so you could get into Poshfin. Um, they also added the nullsec filaments and the nullsec filaments kind of worked in the same way the Pochfin did, except it was, you know, quite a bit more random. And what people did before was they would, you know, just log in uh, either their freighter or their, um, oh, geez, Teddy, what is that? Was that an orca? Uh, yeah. And they would, he would just filament out the high sec and or sorry, nullsec and then pray that your suitcase is what we called it that would survive out in uh, null in order to get yourself to to high sec. Now, what people do is they just you you have two filaments, right? You get a filament to um, Poshven and then a filament to high sec. And you once you filament to uh, to Poshven, you cloak up, wait out the fifteen minute timer, and then you Poshven. Sorry, and then you uh, filament out to high sec, and then that's that's asset safety. It's it's uncounterable asset safety in terms of um, it, you know wormhole mechanics. Um, the um, and then if you have a frigate hole it's just repeatable, right? Because frigate holes are no longer rollable. You can just do it over and over and over again. You can show up now, now with a shuttle instead of an interceptor, you show up with a shuttle interdiction nullified, uh, jump through into your system, grab another suitcase, whatever it is that you're doing, uh, jump out to, um, Poshven, jump out back out the, to, high sec. And then you just do it over and over and over again. And then you just not, you don't fight. And then the, you know, the people who spent the past 72 to, you know, 86 hours or 96 hours uh, get nothing out of it in, uh, you know, a large, large regard. Um, and the other thing, too, 
this is this is what's really, really, really frustrating people now. Um, I was just talking to somebody about this last night. I didn't uh, I didn't actually know about this mechanic until um, just recently is that you can use Poshven filaments. So let's say, for instance, that um, I, I live in a six five, which means that I have the luxury of really, really fast rolling um, my five static. Right. So let's say that I'm rolling uh, my five static. I find roaches, as we call them, quote unquote, inside of uh, our static five, um, which is a battleship fleet. Well, I get all my guys together. We get ready to go catch them. Um, as soon as they see a saber on D scan, all the person has to do is drop the person who's tackled in fleet in the site because only one person generally gets aggro at a time. It's very rare that more than one person gets aggro at a time. It's, it's based on some very old uh, mechanics inside of the game that <laughs> need to be updated a little bit, but uh, mm. only one person gets tackled inside of, inside of the site. All you have to do is drop that person from fleet who's tackled, sacrifice him, and then Poshven filament your entire ratting fleet uh, into Poshven. And then, of course, all of these ships have refits for safety, right? They have, um, I'm sure they'll have the uh, um, warp core stabilizers and cloaks and et cetera, et cetera. They just put cloaks on their ships because you can refit from a nester, which is most of the time is what they have. Um, and then they sit, sit in cloak, wait out the timer, and then jump themselves back out to high sec. Um, and the biggest issue, and, um, we'll talk, um, I wouldn't, shouldn't say we, one of the things that I've been working on is talking about the, uh, the state of wormhole space, uh, economics and the ecosystem and, uh, some of the issue, one of the, some of the big, big, big issues that are coming out of, um, wormhole site balance right now. Uh, but one of the biggest issues is that wormhole PVE sites uh, were balanced in 2016 based upon the ships that were available then. Um, now, you know, we've had since 2016, we've had the release of, um, Triglavian ships. Triglavian ships. We've had the mm -hmm. release of the, the Marauder buffs. We've had, mm -hmm. uh, the surgical strike, which increased the amount of damage that, uh, you know, close range ammo has done. Um, so, it has made battleship ratting more and more and more viable when in fact, a lot of the sites were balanced around capital ratting. So what ends up happening is, is that in order it was balanced around the fact that if you wanted to make this money, as much money as wormhole sites were being, you know, making currently, uh, you needed to use capitals and as such, because you used siege in, you know, the most popular one was, dreads dread self tackle you can't warp out whenever you're in siege but um now that you don't you know now that battleships are more and more viable the risk profile is incredibly spread out right it's not um it, it, you know it's you can do sites with battleships with one or two people mm -hmm. multi-boxing accounts um, right. with much, 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 much less risk than if you were, 
doing it with uh, with capitals. You All know, right, I think ago. we got it. The 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 it needs and you were going to write some stuff on this. We'll look forward to reading that. Uh, I want to get uh, I want to ratchet up the drama here with uh, Teddy. Do you disagree with? Um, I want to go back to my, my pet thing. Mass uh, limits taken off of hormones. Uh, I do. Um, I also, apart from Tiberius's points, um, it would also basically turn any wormhole eviction into a proxy war between the Norsec alliances. Well, because they, they were just bat throwing, they're just bat throwing each other, uh, and each fight, each like eviction fight, would just turn into thousands or hundreds. Well, what if the wormholes are moving faster? Would that uh, complicate things? Oh, not really. But pretty quick scanners on the on the whole, um, unless it was rolling every like five minutes. Mm-hmm. But then at that point, wormhole space would be very nearly unlivable. But can you turn like? Could you imagine a scenario and would this attract people? A scenario where uh, wormhole space became null sec with blackout, as we kind of wanted, because some people came back to the game saying, "Yeah, I would love those hunting grounds." Like. Suetonia, would you would you want something like that? Surely, surely that's Poshvin, no? Uh, it's Poshvin. Poshvin. I mean, wormhole space is completely different just because of the the way you travel around uh, wormhole space and the fact that there's no supers in wormhole space and capitals are really restricted. Right. I, I, I don't think we'll, you can really. I don't think you can really compare the two. The, yeah, I don't think you compare Nolsec to wormhole space like wormhole space de- definitely isn't just no sec with no local it's like a completely different ecosystem b strikes you have the uh the air effects inside the system and stuff as well but yeah and to me it's, it's the mass limits that make wormhole space what it is you can't just bring 100 battleships to everything you can't just like bring five faxes through a wormhole and just afk tank their fleet. well right so it seems to me that being able to block the doors is one of the problems of control. Like the, the thing is, this works. This ecology worked for a while because there were so many different independent, just leave me alone people. And now you have corporatization of wormhole space. And now it doesn't seem to work like it used to. And there's a lot of pain coming out of the, even the wormhole community itself saying, Hey, we're broken. Uh, that, uh, and it kind of feels like, well, yeah, you guys kind of, corporatized wormholes. This was starting uh, to happen in 2016 and it really kicked in last year for some reason, really in high gear. You're mostly looking at the complaints people have around frick holes, which are one of the complaints from half of the wormhole community. Um, the roach fleets, as have already been discussed, um, I, I wouldn't say that just stripping mass limits out of wormholes would be a change. I think, yeah, maybe making a drastic change to wormhole space could be a good thing to do, but it would take a lot of thought and maybe it's more than fiddling numbers. Maybe it's new deployables. Maybe it's new structure things. Maybe you could have, keep the mass limits, make wormholes really hard to access and block the door, but maybe there's like a, you know, once a week sino into a system or something, just random idea. So the uh, mm-hmm. kind of touching back on what you were talking about, um, matter all the you said um, you know it's it's really easy to close the door, but it's also very easy for somebody to come and backdoor you. Uh, one of the biggest issues back in February with the From Wormholes with Love was when they reverted the what is essentially known as the high class redrolling patch, um, where they didn't allow you to one shot um, 
wormholes with carriers anymore. Um, and there was demonstrable evidence that that had a very, very negative effect on the amount of capital ships that were dying inside of wormhole space. I mean, it was like, uh, like a third of all capitals that were dying just dropped, you know, it just, Actually, no, it dropped to a third of the original numbers that were, uh, you know, doing it. I, I spent uh, hours and hours and hours pouring over that data. I don't even, uh, Teddy, do you have that graph anymore? I don't I actually, I think I have that graph anymore. I've got them, yeah. Um, but uh, it was, it was very, very, very stark. Um, and I haven't re rerun the numbers yet to see if the reversion um, has had a, you know, a positive impact on things dying, but I would venture to say yes, just based on seeing from my own personal experience, because I live in a high class wormhole. Now we've caught quite a few dreads since we've been able to, uh, you know, rage roll while one shotting holes with, uh, with our carrier. Um, but, uh, yeah, so if you look at this, <laughs> if you look at this graph, you'll see from wormholes with love drops off about half. And then there's a TD sin eviction. I couldn't, it was TD sin. The TD sin eviction was just way too many things dying. And it was really hard for me to kind of uh, normalize what we were looking at. And then um, as soon as surgical strike hit, it was like gone. Right. Yeah. You know, and this, this is just um, force auxiliaries that we're looking at. Not, you know, this isn't um, any other ship that was really, or any of the other capital ships. I've got graphs for those laying about as well, but that's probably one of the most classic examples um, as that. And I think it was, unfortunately, this was compounded by the fact that CCP also got rid of the ability to add more, more than one um, injector inside of a, a, a fax. So, right. Those are the changes we were talking about earlier. Right. Yeah. This, uh, this graph really sort of encompasses some massive changes to the, the PVP master in one more space last year um, with sort of the effective end of like Apex heavy armor fleets. Um, I can only really think of one more that's happened this year. So kind of circling back to what you were saying about the uh, circling back to what you're saying about, you know, mass limits and changing those things. The problem is, is that in my opinion, even the smallest changes have had such a huge drastic effect on the, that, you know, domino effect on the ecosystem that anything drastic would need to be like Teddy and Ashley said, they need to be well thought out and they need to be, you know, it, it needs to be a complex solution to a complex problem. It doesn't need to be something as simple as, Oh, just nerf blue loot by 30%. Or, oh, you know, let's lift mass restrictions and or mass limits and things of that nature, because it can have uh, some very, you know, detrimental adverse effects on the uh, ecosystem. If that's not, uh, you know, so CCP really needs to kind of figure out what their vision for the space is before they make any kind of drastic changes to it. Right. Well. Listen, when something gets solved, CCP has to step in and, and, and complicate things, break it up, change it. You know, you had jump changes before Phoebe jump changes. You could jump as far as you, you could jump, what, like nine to 12 light years in a carrier. 
as much as you wanted with no stops or anything. Um, you know, black ops could blops all day long, no fatigue factors. You could jump in, you could chain systems, you could do all kinds of things, but it was a solved situation. CCP had to come in and take drastic measure. And it looks like to me, uh, wormholes have to be looked at as something that is just very, very corporatized. Now it's been professionalized for a long time. Now it feels corporatized. And I don't know if it's, um, from, from only my perspective, not TIS, but my perspectives, I don't know if it's worth saving, like bulldoze this thing and, you know, shake it up, make it completely different. That might be more interesting. I would like to see, uh, systems just, uh, either not allow structures so that you don't live there. You just go into expeditions into wormhole space. So it's a little scarier. Yeah. It's already or kind of a thing like just blow the them up. wormholes. What's that? There's already kind of a, an area of wormhole space where you can't anchor structures in shattered wormhole space. Yeah, right. But I think you can only, can't you only take frigates into that? No, there's, there's capital size ones. Um, so they're every frig- size? Yeah, they're uh, for every size. There's some specific like special ones called C-13s that have uh, like C-6 wolf riot fit, uh, effects and they can only be taken by uh, like frigates and destroyers, like small ships. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there are like proper sized uh, shattered wormholes as well. How are those doing? Anybody know? They're fine. Uh, people use them for crabbing. I know a lot of people see a shattered wormhole, and because no one lives there, they tend to accumulate a lot of sites. So you get there at the right time, and maybe you can earn a lot of money. But they're also typically more connected because they have three statics instead of uh, two, or two statics instead of one. So it's a bit more dangerous. Well, more of that. I would like to see an entire uh, random weather pattern type thing come in and just uh, wipe out uh, things. Something drastic, right? I don't know. Something, um, something needs to shake up that space. With, with a lot of your points, Barrel, um, a lot of us could say the same about Norsec. It's been about completely... Lose, it's been completely... No, Norsec. Where it's been completely sold for years and years, where no one really fights each other. Everything seems staged. Um, where a lot of us I think people are fighting each other now. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you've got half half the game blue to fight the other half. Like, well, because N really. plus one is hard to defeat. Yeah, and I know wormholes don't have that problem. It's, it kind of has the opposite problem. Just don't underestimate the value of trying to solve something at the root, right? Because if you're talking about, oh, I keep comparing uh, wormhole denizens with uh, real life Tuareg and uh, and Bedouins and and their, their tents and, and ability to survive the desert, right? Well, the desert should not be able to support scaling that type of lifestyle up and up forever. So this is something that could be resolved with fixing uh, how fuel consumption on structures, so basically what it costs to put up a tent and how many people you can actually cram into that tent, right? And, and it's the same with the Blue Loot solution. If you made it, uh, or if you disincentivized uh, the, the, the random tourist uh, blue loot farmers, right, by having something that reacts to supply and demand. So the, the, the value of that drops. So that would still leave that asset and raw material available for the denizens, but the, the tourists would no longer want to go there because they would just tank the fucking uh, price of it, right? So fixing blue loot and fixing something like fuel consumption it's a good direction to helping out the, the wormhole denizens, I think. Yeah, make, making, making blue loot 
parts like the industrial chain or something with T3s, for example, um, that's been proposed for years. Um, like well, we, a, lot of, a lot of us have known that this stuff has been a problem for years, We've repeatedly said this stuff is a problem for years. And it's I'm just, just been... uh, fix it by looking at the, the, the deltas, right? So month on month, how much loot is actually sold to the NPCs? If that has gone up by 5%, then the cost goes down by 6 The, the, issue, the issue with people, that, though... How, how do you stop people from just, uh, like, okay, we just, loot, we just crab for three months and we just all sell it in the same month, and then we don't sell it again for another three months? But yes, that's volatility. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. The market will still fix that's, it. That's how a lot of people do their farming. They farm and then only sell like once a month or once every couple of months. Hmm, um, it's like skill farming. But yeah, I mean, that, I, I, that think, uh, I think reactive thing, the reactive like uh, having like reactive biodas for NPCs would also just hurt people doing them in dreads, right? Like the problem is the roaching fleets that are coming in, people with like 15 battleships. Uh, who have much less risk than the dread pilot but if you nerf the blue loot so that the 15 battleships don't want to do it anymore you also stop the dread guy from doing it as well right well but this is really about how how the the npc uh buy orders would be spawned right they would still be if, if they're scattered around and at a certain volume then the next ones that spawn will spawn based on how much have been sold say 30 days ago so you can easily make an algorithm that manages supply and demand in a way where it, it disincentivizes this both the, the stockpiling and the over farming. I would I would hit it from the other side. I would go after the risk rather than the reward. I would just make everything harder. because um, that that's the true reason why most of us are complaining right now. Stuff is just is too easy to farm. It's just too risk free. Well, why not look at maybe reworking the dungeons in wormhole space and have it some something similar to what we had before, where the typical thing would be to have a group of carriers and dreads and Lokis and such, and the whole gang would do it together. Make it difficult, make it something that battleships can't really take on that easily on their own. Yeah, which which would be fine. Like even quite a few people want the return of the ability to actually feed a corp from home sites because that's the whole reason why farm halls came into being it's because people just can't you can't feed a corp that's 30 40 people from just home sites it's not possible so those people need farm halls to be able to buy the ships all right well, lots of uh, ideas there. Uh, obviously, Teddy and Ashley and Tiberius and Suetonia disagree with me, so don't uh, paint them with my comments. But I do want to see uh, wormholes affected in some way because uh, it's, you know, I, I had a lot of affinity for wormholes, but they just seem very sewn up right now. Too bad. Um, one more thing. This happened just live while we were on air. Uh, looks like... The, can you bring up that battle report uh, in RTAC ARK? And that's an Esoteria where we just had a battle with Initiative. It uh, looks like Initiative mixed it up with Army of Mango because a Titan was in trouble. I see a vendetta on this kill mail. Uh, so they needed to save the Titan and ended up saving it. Fortunately for them, um, the Initiative was not able to destroy the capital ships, but they paid a price for it. And not, not too bad. It was about 35 billion they paid for. So 
Uh, Army of Mango almost taking a huge loss there, but they went all in, it looks like, with the capital, with the super capital fleet to save uh, one of their own. That happened just a few minutes ago. Okay, that is it for today. I'm glad you guys were here. Ashley, terrific work on the uh, EVE Academy site. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, Suetonia, Caleb, uh, McLeod, Tiberius, and uh, Teddy, thanks for showing up today and talking with us here at Talking In Stations. We will be back next week for the weekend report, but we have programming all week long. Uh, and make sure to tune in during the week for the daily report. And if you want, you can get our EVE newspaper in-game. It's called TIS News. It's a mailing list. So while you're in EVE, open the mail client window and at the bottom left, you'll see a button called Add Mailing List. And if you tap on that and type in TIS News, uh, then expect to get player news every day. And uh, our guys are told to be very, very fact-based on that. So you just get straight battle reports and game news and events that are happening and stuff like that. And it's a little newspaper, so check that out. All right. That's all we have time for this week. We'll see you next week on Talking In Stations.